Welcome everybody. This is episode two and our guest today is Hank from Tiny House and from Pau. So welcome Hank. Yeah. I'm happy to see you here at the Watchama Studios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting to see this place. Yeah. <laughs> so what I so far know about you is that uh, you were also studying here in Wageningen, right? forest nature conservation yes i did my bachelor and master here and uh, and last year you you went to study for the warmonderhof also or yeah, was it a, was it a longer uh, study or yeah, how it was, was a two-year part-time study okay and, and i uh, graduated from that last uh, summer which with what title um yeah i don't know exactly how to call it in english but at least a degree that you really um, know how to work practically on a farm, like yeah. a vakbekwaam medewerker, called yeah. it in Dutch. But uh, they are more uh, spe- specialized on organic farms, right? Yeah, it's really about, uh, well, at least the education is really in biodynamic farming. Yeah. But you can, yeah, also a large part of the study is uh, working on a farm. And that can be an organic farm as well. Yeah. It doesn't have to be biodynamic per se. Okay. And it's yeah more focused on the practical stuff. And so that's a nice addition, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I assume well, we talked uh, during the summer and you said you spent already two winters in the forest. And this is your third winter at yes. Pau, at the Eco Village in Wageningen. But this winter you are already sleeping in your tiny house, right? Yes, that's correct. And you are actually one of the most uh, authentic and iconic uh, figure of the Dutch tiny house movement. Uh, people can find many articles about you and your your house. Mm-hmm. And uh, the taglines are mostly that you just build it from 1000 euros. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I know, there was also a big tiny house jamboree in uh, October or, or uh, November yeah, in October. October in Almere mm-hmm. and you were invited there too and did you want to win a, a, a prize or something or uh, in, no in, no it in, was in, in, in a category or no 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 it was not about prizes yeah they just invited me yeah. to to be there as well in my house to uh, to have uh, well great diversity as possible with houses and yeah mine was special because I totally built it myself mostly of uh yeah second hand and scrap materials and yeah until now it cost me only uh, like 1000 euros wow and a lot of time yeah but yeah cool so let's go back in time a bit when you arrived in Wageningen where where did you uh, live first have you been also a uh, Druve citizen or when i started studying yeah yeah, yeah i started studying in 2004 here in Wageningen and then first I lived in another uh, place uh, It was called Binnenhaven and there were temporary homes and after four years there I had, had to move because those temporary homes were moved as well to what yeah. now is the Haarweg they're still there those buildings yeah. and then I uh, decided to uh, try to uh, get to the roof and yeah first uh, first house I tried I got a room so ah, cool, and, cool, uh, cool. and then live for uh, 
four more years there until uh, I finished my studies. Okay, and then you, meanwhile, you you went to Pau once or twice, and you met there the people. Or what was the tra- no, what was well, the transition to to Pau? Well, because it's very uh, special. <laughs> when I finished uh, my studies, it was end of 2011. Uh, there was no uh, Pau yet, because that yeah. uh, was started on the first of April 2014. But yeah, beginning of 2012, I, yeah, I couldn't really find a job that I liked and was something to do with my uh, education so i decided to volunteer at a project uh, it was a project about chimpanzee research in uh, in senegal cool so then uh, yeah i left for uh, 15 months in a row first there and then uh, spent uh, two months in leipzig for the for the project to work out all the data i collected there wow and then soon after I found another job also working with chimpanzees but then as a program manager for a Dutch foundation and I spent another year in Guinea-Bissau just cool. a little bit south of Senegal so there awesome and yeah while being there I well heard about it that people uh, were using the terrain and call themselves the mobile eco-village POW and Ready through the website of partijvoordeplanten.nl uh, and on yeah. Facebook, so interesting yeah. stuff. So yeah. once I uh, got back, I uh, within a few weeks I had my first look there. Then they celebrated their first anniversary, and yeah, I really liked it. So I came back, and uh, then first when I came back from Africa, I had an anti-squat home yeah. in uh, Renkum. Uh, but once uh, yeah, I had to leave there, I decided, yeah. yeah, I don't want to look for another house or apartment or whatsoever. I just go uh, live there in the forest yeah. and was just someone leaving, leaving caravan behind. So I yeah. took that caravan. Cool. Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that uh, from many places that uh, like uh, people from mostly from our age they just don't want to get into this roller coaster of paying the rents and having this all that that stress on them mm-hmm. why they don't have a, a meaningful job to do because if you if you do what you love yeah, then you can pay your your rents and it's it's just fine but uh, and and i see more i've heard more of these uh, squats uh, from Spain and other countries, but mm-hmm. I don't know what is the situation in, in the Netherlands. You have a, maybe a little bit of overview about that? About what kind of people live there? Not just or what kind of people, but uh, yeah, how many people or any estimates or, uh, you know, or I guess it's not uh, very well, uh, the statistic bureau is not involved in these numbers, but... Uh, yeah, as far as power concerned, there's a lot of... Uh, people that stay there temporary maybe at most a year or most people a couple of months or half a year or something and yeah well actually now besides eric who lives there from the beginning i'm the one who uh, was the oldest inhabitant now yeah cool and is there an also an initiation process normally of uh, to uh, join to these kind of uh, communities well, you have to, uh, well, not only come there to well li- live uh, an easy, cheap uh, cheap yeah. way of life, but really contribute to the place. Yeah. 
and new people we first have a one month tryout so first we talk with them and really see if they have uh, nice ideas if they well good attitude to, to to live at our place or in a place like that and then yeah they can try out for a month and then after a month if they still well also would like to live there and if we see yeah it's a nice addition to the place then people can stay and if not yeah then mostly already those people already also decide for themselves okay it's not really working and working out but yeah but do you see that those people who really want to contribute so they you cannot call them uh, lazy or whatever free rider in any ways but but still want to join these kind of communities are they striving for uh, freedom or one kind of level of freedom from the old structure of uh, society or what is the what do you experience so far mm, yeah also uh, yeah getting out of the red race of society i guess but also a lot of people they're just at a well certain change in their lives and then they somehow just use pow as a as a place to well really um see for themselves what they what they really want in life and and also yeah learn something about uh yeah more practical stuff like building or gardening yeah. or whatever uh yeah or learning more about nature or do you think that the the forest as a setting is it has a specific uh, meaning or role uh, at pau or wh whoever comes there you know uh, some some places are on the beach or somewhere in the mountains but uh, the pau is in the in the forest and i think it's very special in that sense you don't really feel that you are outside but you are you know i know you are surrounded with yeah nature, being at pau is also something like yeah just uh, being in a totally different world <laughs> well you can hear the cars in the distance but for the rest it's just uh, all the trees around and well now it's not so green but uh, in spring and summer it's really green and all the time even now in winter you can hear in the birds a lot of different species of birds and insects and we have roe deer passing by and recently i also saw a fox and yeah it's really uh, yeah living close to uh, nature cool and uh yeah what about the chimpanzees <laughs> yeah well uh in africa i also lived in the bush so now yeah. i'm i just continue living like that cool yeah in a in a in a certain way yeah so the the chimpanzees did not have a specific role uh, i mean they it was an interesting project but uh you are yeah, not i decided to uh not to uh continue with that work yeah because those especially as program manager it's I more office work or what yeah more office work yeah. and less in the field what i really like to do and uh yeah a lot of meetings that was all about money and not really about what this was really going about yeah protecting chimpanzees and, yeah. then, and then also yeah a little bit conflicts with the people uh that were responsible that uh, were leading the foundation they were in the netherlands and then yeah it's a bit difficult uh, to manage all that and also uh it was yeah mainly focused on the chimpanzees and i think yeah if you really want to uh 
make something good for the future it's also to well look look at that whole area as a whole it's yeah. also the people that well want to make yeah. a living in there but they're yeah they're uh, practicing the a bit less uh, sustainable uh, agriculture yeah that could be uh, changed a lot as well so that both the humans can well provide for themselves and also yeah the chimpanzees can still uh, live there so there was also a motivation for me to uh, went back in the Netherlands focus more on uh, sustainable agriculture cool. so that's also why I started this study and start to learn more about permaculture and and now you are also working at the Omurda town, yeah, which is the That's the walled the the town the the garden which is surrounded by walls, right? The, yeah, partly the, of the yeah, old I mean, wall. Yeah, if we would uh, if we would want to translate it, what would it mean, right? Like a a garden with walls around it. Yeah, and walls from yeah. dating back from eighteen yeah. hundred something when it was the herb. Uh, yeah, vegetable okay. garden of King Willem the Third. Yeah. So it yeah belonged to uh, a big estate there. You can st the buildings are still there, but it's not yeah. now has other uh, purpose. Yeah, and uh, you you work there two days a week, or how how does it yeah, work? Yeah, one or two days a week. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's a nice place. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did most of my internship there, and yeah. once I finished the study, I could continue uh, working there. And what is their their message to? what what is um, what do they want to show because i think the setting is uh, amazing there yeah it's also not only a garden for just uh growing the vegetables and herbs but it's also a really nice place to be in so you can yeah. also well even people go there to marry yeah or just have their uh, i don't know uh, what kind of celebration parties you can have yeah. especially in uh, in summertime so yeah, it's just a uh, yeah, really nice place combined with uh, growing locally uh, organic food. Yeah. It's not uh, about the concurrence, but uh, or concurrency, but uh, Creative Garden has a similar setting, and mm -hmm. it's also nice to see that these examples are around Wageningen, because I I see that the mainstream is still goes is goes uh, towards the ag tech and uh, like splitting and having this bigger gap between the people and the food production so the food production is for the machines and the people have no clue about uh, how to mm -hmm. how to cook uh, or how to grow their food yeah yeah the creative garden yeah it's a bit a li little bit different setup yeah. it's mainly uh, just a group of enthusiastic yeah. students that that run the place there and yeah. do everything themselves and uh, how did the uh, the tiny house uh, started well i always uh, or at least for for a couple of years had the dream of uh, once building my own house and then yeah also about with uh, sustainable materials like an earth ship or with straw bales or earth, earth bags or something yeah. like that but for that you really need uh, your own piece of land that you uh, yeah and also know that you really want to stay in that place and yeah I've been to different places so I didn't have a fixed place yet so it was not really possible but then yeah especially when I just came back from Africa I came uh, across the idea of a tiny house tiny yeah, house yeah. on wheels and uh, yeah it was already quite a big thing uh, then in in America so a lot of 
was already a lot of websites and YouTube videos yeah. and and documentaries about people uh, just building their own houses on wheels and be yeah free have to work less uh, less stuff to care about just yeah, yeah. have a much more um, yeah uh, uh, much better life without all the stress that comes with yeah. Uh, yeah earning money and taking care of all the stuff of a big house and yeah <laughs> this is a kind of uh, minimalistic movement or something mm-hmm. like that yeah like, uh, less material stuff what i was uh, thinking about uh, as a controversy uh, as a controversial aspect if you want to build your tiny house from uh, second hand materials it can be cheap but you need enormous amount of uh, space to store all the materials and to collect them maybe for one or two years to have everything what you need yeah and i didn't have the time to yeah. to work on it, on it full time so it yeah. was bit by bit collecting yeah. building and but yeah power uh, i had quite some space still had to build my own uh, own workspace so that i had a dry place to to build my house but but it was possible with some uh, metal pipes and uh, some tarps and stuff and uh, you can actually move it uh, wherever you want yeah do. right now i have uh, my own house on wheels so i can move yeah. it around yeah i even went to almere in october yeah and you just finished it in october or uh, well after, after october it's uh, not finished yeah. yet but it's yeah I'm, yeah I i've seen the process mm-hmm. uh, in october was not quite uh, uh, done yet but uh, nowadays you are living in it so it's mm-hmm. it's getting there yeah, now the main things that are uh, yeah. left now is the the bathroom and the kitchen. Yeah. Need to work on that. But yeah, we at Power we have a common uh, bathroom and common kitchen and living area, so that's yeah. not really in a hurry. And now. that that was the other that was the other thing what I wanted to uh, point out that is kind of t- a time of celebration, not just because of the New Year's, but the mothership is uh, standing. So please yeah. tell something for the view- viewers about the plans yeah. with the mothership. Yeah, the mothership. Yeah, that uh, was already uh, our common uh, space. Uh, yeah, I think now. Yeah, with more than a year ago, so the end of uh, 2016. Then we already uh, had the building, but then unfortunately we had to take it down because it was built on an existing foundation and uh, they made a refugee center next to Pau and they decided to make an access road over Pau so all mm. the all the foundations and concrete stuff had to go so we had to take it down uh, it was a very nice building just uh, made a bit like example of uh, of an earth ship yeah. with a glass uh, wall on the south so that uh, and, and, and the roof sticking out a bit so that in winter you have a lot of sun inside and uh, in summer um, uh, it shades out the sun mostly and also with a rocket mass heater inside so you can uh, well very efficiently heat the room and it will stay warm even overnight but yeah unfortunately we had to take it down and already then for the first time we built it up uh, I spent a lot of time working on it and also uh, demolishing it was a bit of a pity, but yeah, we kept all the materials. Yeah. And now, yeah, last October, uh, yeah, almost exactly one year after we 
took it down we had like yeah we still don't know how long we can stay at at the terrain but then yeah try uh, to make it as nice as possible yeah we just uh, yeah. decided yeah we just build it up again and then we'll just see how, oh. how long it can stay this time and then luckily we heard uh, just before christmas that refugees are coming so that means that for the coming three or four years at least there will be refugees and that the the building won't start before then okay because there is a a building site uh, yeah so uh, eventually the yeah. owner of the yeah. terrain wants to build houses there yeah but yeah with refugees it's probably being extended again yeah yeah Interesting. so that means for coming three four yeah. years we c uh, we could stay so hopefully cool. also the mothership can stay for yeah. uh, three four years or maybe even longer who knows yeah yeah it, it's so interesting that uh, your attitude is so calm and okay we just go with the flow mm -hmm. but uh, you know sometimes i see that when you uh, share some articles on the on on facebook or something they are much more thought-provoking than just oh we just go with the flow so mm -hmm. uh, how do you balance it out like that you see that there are some shit is going around in the world and to keep it uh, keep it simple or maybe the forest helps you in this to keep calm yeah um yeah also one of my uh things is i think also just don't be too angry about all the bad shit happening but just try to uh to start do stuff by your by uh, by your own and then yeah also show it a little bit to other people people get inspired to do the same things so i think i already uh reached a lot of people that got inspired by me building my own tiny house for just 1000 euros i think yeah, yeah hundreds even thousands of people have seen my house in almere and and i've been in uh, in some uh newspapers and on the websites and stuff so even yeah so with the tiny houses i'm not really looking for all those yeah media attention but yeah people that are really uh, have an eye out for this thing they find me and uh, get inspired yeah because that's why i also invited you because uh, you know the wachama was originally the abbreviation of wagoning and change makers and you are really one of them who are like really putting the things out not just talking not just writing but also like here it is here is mothership here is a tiny house here mm -hmm. is power running and uh, i think it's a beautiful example and that's why it's good to good to if the people get to know you a bit a little bit more uh, maybe using this uh, media yeah so maybe you are a kind of uh, I mean, it, it sounded pretty much like a Zen, Zen philosophy, like, well, whatever in the world is going on, I'm just doing my thing and that's the most important to focus mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really nice with building uh, yeah, the mothership again, because this time I was the one with the most experience building it. So I was uh, mainly leading the whole build and then still also uh, learning a lot. And also with my house, I'm still learning because I'm still working a bit on the the energy with the solar panels yeah. and i still have plans to make a small windmill and 
make water storage and, and, and use filters or something to, to use the rainwater again in my house. So eventually I wanted to really uh, make it, uh, yeah. Pimp it up. Se self <laughs> s as self-sufficient as possible. Yeah, cool. So yeah. it's also, uh, yeah, a way of developing myself. Just uh, Yeah, and whatever happens, you can just take your ho home, your yeah. house with you. And I don't have to, well, maybe if I am somewhere in my house, I have to pay a little bit of rent for using the space, but for yeah. the rest, it's... Uh, my house i paid for and worked on it myself i don't have to pay uh, any mortgage or whatever yeah that's that's a very interesting thing uh, that uh, people don't know even i don't know how i mean i can learn i'm very uh, uh, capable of learning stuff and uh, mm -hmm. but you know two two generations ago most of the people knew how to build their house and how to grow their food Mm -hmm. and uh, it's pretty much one of the most important skills what we can actually learn and even the animals I mean we put ourselves uh, above the animals and most of the animals uh, do this and uh, yeah what I see nowadays like okay there are some nice villas or earthships what I really like I also really like the earthship movement but most of these uh, apartment complexes that are not even that nice and it's totally totally uh, not a natural feeling to to live in them mm -hmm. so that's about the housing <laughs> and uh, you know we are kind of uh, using the technology to get the food uh, on an easy way and uh, yeah yeah you just go to the supermarket <laughs> yeah. spend some money and uh... yeah but you know my, my the problem is that we don't get the healthy stuff so the people two generations ago or in some places one generation ago or still nowadays for them the organic was the normal <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah then they even didn't talk about organic or not yeah <laughs> just homegrown stuff yeah what what do you see uh, should you just uh clone yourself and have more uh, Hanks uh, who make these kind of uh, stories uh, inspiring other people or how can how can we well nobody is the same so I think everybody has to uh, to see where their interests are and really um, see where where their motivation lies some other people uh, well, I'm now more and more tending to building stuff, but other people yeah. are maybe more uh, in, in growing stuff or, yeah, maybe like you, more like commu communicating uh, with people, like networking or, um, yeah, I think everyone has just to, uh, yeah, really have to come to themselves and really see what they, what they like and what feels good for them. Yeah, well, that's one and, question. And every, everyone, yeah. uh, everybody is different, of course. So yeah, but I don't want to be the whole world. Full of course, of, uh, of course. But of I mean, uh, uh, what we see with the food, food production, or let's say there is a builder like yourself, mm -hmm. and you also want to eat good stuff, then uh, you have to find a source. And mm -hmm. for you now, it's kind of given because you also work there and you know them, but. Mm -hmm it's uh it can be very difficult uh yeah. 
for because I see that also yourself is a doer and an organic gardener is also a doer but they don't put out themselves that much out than others who say that they do yeah but i think for that <laughs> yeah. it's nice to to not live individually but li really live in communities yeah. where all those skills that are needed uh are shared with those people so one people is good at this one uh, one other is good at that and together they provide for the whole community what what do you think what is the uh ideal amount of people who can live uh, together well for Pau we decided it's uh, like uh, most 10 or 11 people but yeah I'm not sure what's the most ideal because yeah also Pau is not the most ideal place it's also temporary and yeah. we don't have that much uh, space to uh, to grow our own food because yeah partly it's also just uh, the high trees of the forest yeah and poor soil but yeah i think ten, with 10 people you can get already really far with uh, if providing we, if for if they yourself. have a different interest or they are kind of have their having yeah their i own. think so and yeah. then of course you have smaller communities and yeah. they can also trade with each other and yeah, uh, when I was uh, writing my my thesis uh, in Hungary about these uh, uh, alternative food networks, there were like generations within the family, like the the younger youngest people they went to school or work, then the middle aged people they had the most uh, labor intensive uh, uh, crops at home or animals, and the old people they had maybe some chickens or some fruit trees, but still there were many many. Uh, networking possibility to change to exchange all of these and also with neighbors not just within families mm -hmm. and uh, it's still out there it's still working but it's less and less because the comfort what what do you think about comfort because that's the uh, one of the biggest uh, thing what we get trapped into oh just go to the supermarket and buy it and it's done yeah maybe people forget and you need money as well to buy it and then yeah the money has to come from somewhere so you have to take a job and then you don't have time to make your own food or your own jam or dry your own meat or whatever so yeah it's just a trade-off i guess do you uh, follow any diet um uh, not a specific diet well uh, most of the time i'm vegetarian ah cool so but for the rest, I'm not for really following a special diet or something. And yeah, let's eat as much uh, organic food as possible. But also at Pau, we uh, once in a while go dumpster diving. There are some supermarkets nearby that uh, have the dumpsters outside with a lot of food just thrown away, what's still good to eat. Is there no so regulations uh, yet in the Netherlands for that? Because I've heard in, in France there is a, a lot of go good stuff. Yeah, there it's really forbidden for yeah. the supermarkets. They really have to do something with the food, but in the Netherlands they can just throw it away. And then most times, yeah, you just get stuff out of, out of the dumpster that's still uh as the same date or one or two days later it expires still good food <laughs> so and that's yeah mostly not organic but yeah, yeah. still yeah. 
save the food by eating it. <laughs> Imagine uh, anyone with a economic background. I would suggest you to to look into uh, the price creation of uh, supermarket products. Imagine that uh, they can still profit while they are throwing away. So it can be a very interesting uh, research to do how how can you create a more realistic price for food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because with most of the conventional farming, they don't calculate the, the actual costs. Uh, ah. Actual costs also with the, the pollution and uh, uh, health risk and uh, yeah, whatever um, other uh, yeah negative effects there are. Yeah, and you ca- you can hear from all over the world the poor farmers, or even if they they look wealthy, they have a lot of debt uh, to mm-hmm. to pay. But the the small scale farmers are normally uh, poor, or they they are also in a pretty much in this rat race. And it's interesting that on the other hand, it's still uh, you know okay to throw away the food. Yeah. Yeah, or that they. Uh, grow a lot of food but yeah because we can pay a little bit more per kilo for that food it goes to europe instead of there and then they have famine there yeah so another interesting great. thing is that uh, you know for example in the i mean it's i'm not telling anything new for anyone just we can think about it that especially in europe the agriculture is subsidized and think about a bit like what is subs- what is subsidy this is tax money from the taxpayer so even though that the food prices uh, seem uh, seem low you already paid on different levels uh, mm-hmm. and you will pay with your health maybe for that food so it's also a very interesting aspect too yeah especially for the netherlands it also means that yeah with all the subsidies you can we can produce cheaper food to export to the rest of the world so that yeah for example african farmers yeah they don't uh, cannot compete with that yeah yeah i'm I'm, uh, I'm philosophizing a bit you know if you are here in wageningen you are exposed to these waves of uh, sustainability and green and all of this and of course they are very beautiful ideas uh, but uh, i see two meanings behind sustainability i don't know how do you see it i see that the real meaning when you have an organization or a community which can sustain itself from the stuff which it's uh, surrounded with you know mm-hmm. like like a like a tree and uh, so it creates a balance but what i see from maybe from when it when sustainability is coming from a political angle then it's more about oh we should be sustainable on a global level <laughs> and we should be sure that on the earth there is enough <laughs> mm-hmm. and no matter how we still uh, do the stupid uh, things on a local level if we figure it out on a global level then uh, it will be all right so in that sense i see a manipulation of uh, resources like how the resources moving around uh on the on the globe and uh, the interesting thing or interesting aspect about the netherlands that i went a couple of weeks ago to the maritime uh, museum Mm -hmm. and uh, 
it was basically stated that the Netherlands, uh, we can say that almost the whole country is the infrastructure of the biggest port in the world. And if you have the biggest port in the world, you want materials and stuff moving on because that makes mm -hmm. you the money. Yeah. So in that sense, they can understand only the sustainability on this global level that, oh, we should keep the resources for the next generation. But on a global level, they they don't necessarily want to think about the, the small scale sustainability, how we think mm -hmm. it's uh, normal or yeah, I think it's best that everywhere on the world food is produced locally and yeah. not traded as a big commodity all over the world. Indeed, I don't really have problem to have stuff from the US or China, but the, in the aspect of food, we can be much more uh, indeed careful to don't treat it as a commodity like a, like a t-shirt something uh, but that's happening and that's the quality also i could also eat sometimes t-shirts instead of uh, food <laughs> mm -hmm. and maybe even more healthy <laughs> some organic uh, you know from h&m uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah but there is still too much profit to be ma made by the big uh, corporations those kind of things and they're getting even bigger and bigger, bigger monopolies. Yeah, you, you mean the food corporations? Yeah. 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 And also companies like uh, Monsanto that both, well, grow the crops, grow, create the GMOs and, and also the, the compatible pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. Yeah, I know. Uh, I looked into from my perspective from social science uh, and uh, I, I also studied agriculture in Hungary back then and uh, the numbers what they use what when they are trying to uh, prove the how uh, efficient the agriculture is if if we don't even talk about the uh, GMO just the uh, just a large-scale uh, modern design uh, or automated agriculture they are just talking about one aspect of production and in the case of one plant mm -hmm. and that's what they use for everything and that's what they prove try to prove all all the time how how profitable is or how much yield can they produce that they can feed feed uh, i don't know how much how many how many billions of people but they, they they don't talk about biodiversity and all of this so for example hunger is a perfect place to see that mm -hmm. if you travel through the country this time everything is black like you know they, they uh, what whatever they already uh, crop have in the in the soil uh, like the seeds it will mm -hmm. uh, grow most of the time after may hmm. so yeah from uh, october or somewhere till may everything is black so Did it's they very just turn over the soil and yeah so it's very bad for the for the soil too and you don't see the trees because you know the trees are bad for the the, the yield mm -hmm. and just make big large fields yeah. without trees yeah, yeah. and uh, at the same time you could have a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables and uh, now we are at the point with the 
with the conservation technologies and re refrigerating that we could uh, have and also with the greenhouse technologies that we could have uh, local fresh fresh food all year long or even some locally produced uh, uh, compotes and that kind of stuff because the interesting thing is that the what i see uh, that the agriculture is still about grains grain 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 pretty much about grain production they want to feed everything and everybody with grains also it, a lot of animals are yeah so i mean if you see the 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 dog the dog feed or uh, you know because normally if you have a, a grazing cow in the nature okay they are domesticated we can say that but still they're they are not built to eat 24 7 uh, the grain stuff no or that cows are used to eating uh, corn yeah they only get the diarrhea from it and other problems yeah and uh, also with the people you know why would we eat if you if you look at the at the at the supermarkets it seems that there's a lot of uh, stuff to choose from but in the end it's just if you look into the ingredients it's just a couple of uh, ingredients mostly sugar and some some wheat or what like a handful of uh, variety what we are talking about mm -hmm. yeah it's only coming from a couple of crops like yeah. corn or soy or yeah. so in that sense if we if we would calculate or do, do the calculations on a different level like uh, uh, having a food forest as a as a comparable uh, mass of land with the uh, same size of uh, like uh, wheat then uh, yeah we would get totally different numbers mm -hmm. and I guess the social effect is another, another yeah it also provides more local jobs instead of yeah. a couple of big machines just working large fields you can have a lot of more specialized jobs on, on the bigger diversity of things you're growing yeah because the the other thing is that uh, if you have this very complicated supply chain then no one really owns the product the end product so we can talk about conspiracies but we can talk about just uh, simple ignorance i mean if you have just one thing to do with a special with a specific crop you just a uh, tractor driver you don't really care the next one is the 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 meal company the next one is the packaging company the next one is another yeah, and everybody is just doing just chain. some some little little thing what they they do perfectly but we but they don't necessarily see the bigger picture it's very interesting to to see how can we actually you know yeah and those farmers have to do invest more and more to still earn their living because yeah in the whole chain until the consumer there's a lot of money to be made but then if you stead, you can also stay a little bit smaller farmer but then yeah produce it for the local market and maybe yeah, process your own food like make a cheese or jam or whatever you get all the you can get all the profit that normally would go through all the chain yeah and that's the thing like if yeah. if you produce locally and you have the contact with the and that's the one of the biggest problem that, that in agriculture is still the the 
amount is the focus or the the main focus not the relationships and they like you know the horses they have this shed this uh, thing that people have mm-hmm. this very very narrow-minded uh, mindset oh how, how can we produce more to to get more money for our for our products they yeah, don't they think don't. about then they go to the banks to borrow more money to be to invest in more land more machines yeah but the, the more is not the answer no and eventually they still don't earn more or much more money but the, because the banks and other corporations they earn more money yeah and they don't have that much of uh, risk uh, no they also know what they're doing yeah so, yeah, so that's that's the interesting thing uh, that uh, on the food chain if we see these very 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 uh, complicated uh, food chains or supply chains of food on the two ends there are the normal people like uh, the small farmers or the farmers mostly who are poor and on the other end you have the customers or the consumers or whatever who I, should I call them but they are also very vulnerable because of the quality mm-hmm. so in the end uh, everybody gets rich and you have these food brands and huge corporations and they have tons of money but uh, the masses on the two two sides are not I mean we are talking about billions of people mm-hmm. and if you see even if you see this uh, Monsanto or what whatever company I'm just I don't have any positive or negative to say about Monsanto <laughs> right now mm-hmm. uh, but it's just uh, maybe 20,000 people in one of these companies and if you combine I have there by the way this nice uh, you know, uh, I had a list with all the brands. Yeah, yeah. This uh, that are owned yeah. by those big companies. Yeah, so it's maybe, maybe hundred thousand people or two hundred, even if it's a million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and even most of them, they just earn like a just a basic uh, minimum wage. Yeah, working in the factories. I I don't know because I think these com- uh, these companies, yeah, they they outsource a lot of stuff. What I mm-hmm. see, I think that most of them most of the big food brands uh, they outsource a lot and also supermarket brands and uh, what they do is they don't produce but they just keep down the prices and they put a lot in marketing and the the keeping up this structure what the i mean the infrastructure uh, to keep it running and efficient and in the end for them is also uh, the more challenging stuff is the storytelling what the little farmer doesn't do at all you have uh, girls 14 15 years who are who have their own instagram channel and uh, 10,000 fo- 10,000 followers so they made a media thing so it's not a rocket science to learn mm-hmm. and those who have their uh, production they could just also tell their story all the time and build a community around uh, they don't even think about that however what the biggest uh, uh, supermarket uh, markets do is mainly besides the having the supermarkets there is enormous amount of promotion in emails these flyers everywhere every yeah. week from the little 
so television and yeah so uh, we should just see the bigger picture how does it work like uh, maybe one tenth of their effort is going to marketing so maybe that's that's the good number what any small farmer uh, should start with to spend 10% of their effort on finding out different ways to sell instead of just uh, one line to the big uh, uh, companies yeah yeah but luckily uh, at least what i see in the netherlands is more and more uh, people want to have local food so that even yeah here around wageningen there are quite some uh, organic farms and other initiatives that uh, well just have uh, plenty of customers even without making too much uh, effort in finding new customers but they are locals and mm -hmm. are they doing it for decades now or just they just started uh, recently well i think most of it is the, the last 10 or 15 years okay so you need time to build a community around yeah. it for sure but yeah i have the feeling it's growing and growing yeah there cool yeah still more and more uh yeah farmers that were farming in a different way and also consumers uh, whatever because also um now the big supermarkets and other big companies see that that people want to have organic food and stuff then also now in the supermarkets you can get organic stuff and even a little bit more local stuff yeah um but also those organic uh stuff still can come from the other side of the world <laughs> yeah and if it comes from the other side of the world who knows <laughs> yeah. because i a couple of weeks ago i talked with a with a farmer from israel uh, and he told me that uh, we have a lot of uh, they, they have a lot of organic stuff uh, but uh, the way how they manage to keep it organic and still cheap and you know uh, price that they they do the spraying at night <laughs> so that's that's the thing uh, if it's not a local food network but it, it comes from somewhere else where there are uh, this very fragmented focus on the food yeah. production and no one really sees the bigger picture and yeah, wants and to take the responsibility most of that organic stuff is still on a big industrial scale and still they can spray pesticides or fungicides but only based on, on uh, organic compounds but they can still be as poisonous as normal hmm. compounds so for me the best is still locally organic food yeah totally yeah. That, that's why it's very um, i don't know how the how the supermarkets will actually uh, tackle this if they wanna uh, wanna do something about it to contact the local farmers because for them it's much much more difficult to, to source from many small farmers mm -hmm. but i think they they should really uh i mean uh, they have a nice infrastructure already built and uh, what they could do is to kind of transform their business model to a more like a platform like business model not this linear and very concentrated what they have mm -hmm. nowadays maybe they should yeah, like they, they should say the goodbye Netherlands, they should the say goodbye to the it's the same yeah i know uh, like 90 percent is uh, the albert group uh, uh, but the, the question is 
if they are willing to say goodbye to some level to the extra profit what they can make with this highly concentrated systems and still provide a platform like system uh, under their own brand so they could still uh, please the customers in a way how they want yeah. but for that they would they would have a they would need an extra effort to reach out to the local farmers and yeah but what kind of price can you give to local farmers yeah that's another story because yeah the big supermarkets also have a name of really trying to get lowest price as mm. possible we don't know because we don't see, don't see the very uh, detailed numbers but of course uh, there are costs and what they spend now to even if they get the stuff from from somewhere else or for a very cheap price there are enormous costs in uh, logistics to bring them and wrap them and do all of this what they can actually maybe re reform uh, in another way to give the fair price to local farmers i don't know just an interesting yeah or that the farmer packages itself himself or yeah or <laughs> that's the other thing yeah. why do we need to package also every cucumber please anyone who <laughs> can give me an answer just uh, drop me a meal as an email <laughs> yeah well then they uh, stay fresh for longer if you put it in wrap it in plastic <laughs> yeah if you have to get it all from from Spain or I don't know yeah that, that's true here that's true yeah yeah but but still sometimes it just seems so unnecessary to wrap everything you know I, okay mm-hmm. I I'm also a customer of uh, supermarkets mm-hmm. and you know I have I'm also critical about this stuff also the quality of the food it should be good but also the amount of waste which we yeah, which is produced also, just because yeah we we uh yeah, with all the dumpster diving we do also we also get really a lot of plastic waste and it's really incredible how often we uh <laughs> have to get rid of uh, full containers of plastic now because literally almost everything you get at the supermarket it's plastic a little bit of paper but most of it is plastic and it's so so strange that is there yeah of course there is a huge interest in in packaging for for sure but uh, it's 2018 now and uh, <laughs> we heard some better ideas and why where they are <laughs> yeah I also read uh, yeah actually today an article Facebook that uh, the whole packaging industry is investing billions and billions more to produce more and more plastic even because there's more and more parts of the world people can pay a little bit more for the food so they can go to the supermarket and buy all those packages food so yeah Jeez. not only in the western world but it's spreading everywhere yeah and that already now we're producing uh, every year the same amount of plastic same weight in plastic as the whole human population together Jeez. Like <laughs> and yeah with all the plastic that uh, 
and gets into the environment. Yeah. Like crazy. You see all the garbage laying around and that flushes to the sea and yeah and, and gets everywhere. And let's say uh, food is one of the most crucial thing what we need every day. Okay, we can survive without another Chinese t-shirt, uh, mm -hmm. but food we, we need every day. And then why don't we just, because that's the other thing. Uh, it's also what I was uh, questioning about the sustainability as such. It also applies to the circular economy, if we want to use that term too. Like mm -hmm. where this economy is uh, circulating, where is the, where are the resources circulating? Can they circulate just on a wagoning level? Why not? I mean, mm -hmm. why should these tracks come all the time? I mean, even if they would just come with with the products instead of products and packaging. I know it's a challenge for the designers to to make it, but but still. But and as, and again, in the case of food, I think if would if we would have the energy balance of uh, what it takes to to feed uh, Wageningen like town. To, with the transportation and all the other energy which is needed to to grow the food and package it mm -hmm. and bring it here and store if we would compare it with a local food network I don't know it's a nice calculation anyone who wants to uh, yeah I didn't make it calculation but but, but yeah. still if you think about that you could save a lot of a uh, lot of uh, resources from mm -hmm. outside just keep it here especially with the packaging mm -hmm. because it's not just the plastic but, but the glass and and the, all of the other the metal packaging they are also coming from somewhere else but yeah the, that also need to be mined somewhere it needs to be yeah yeah and it goes away you know like it's still the 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 separation it i'm happy that i can do it but it still can be developed more to the perfect level like mm -hmm. why does every every little thing should be differently packaged we don't don't even have the chance to exchange even the the cheapest products yeah the, the packaging just some yeah. standard packs you go to the supermarket fill them up again and yeah. take it home yeah so much improvements can be made yeah so in that sense in that sense is a big enough challenge to do out for our generation i guess mm -hmm. Yeah, or find some ways to, uh, yeah, even yeah, like now, like right now, you have all that waste. Try to uh, do something useful with it. Like yeah, maybe not with the packaging material, but that's more with the building uh, stuff. All the leftovers, uh, you can b build tiny houses of it. Yeah, <laughs> and also at the moment I'm uh, collecting those uh, empty soda cans. Yeah, aluminum cans, so I can make a passive solar heater. Cool. With the with those cans, all stacked together and drilled yeah. holes in it, so air can go through. And if the sun shines on it, it really heats up the air. And so with with that in a panel, you can uh, heat up your house. Cool. So now all the time when I'm also cycling around, I just keep an eye out for some cans. Like yesterday, I also cycled. Uh, well, not even far from Pau, and then I already had six cans again. Yeah, so that's that's the other <laughs> thing which is very, very uh, mind-blowing, that everything 
what we throw away uh, actually in nature it has a direct uh, value because it just uh, dissolves but even with the most industrial shit what we have uh, even the very the plastic things are at the same time value mm-hmm. so that's what we have to also keep in mind how can we keep that value otherwise we are just a machine of uh, you know eating machines and consuming machines uh, who are you have to be busy to get the stuff what they need and these all the materials and food are just flowing through us <laughs> yeah so that's the next big project or what is the next big uh, project well Tell that's one the of the secret. little side projects for my okay. tiny house i still want to do okay so is there a big secret project uh, coming up or well not really i uh well I'll continue working at the garden continue working at the uh, pow and February, March, April, I have a big project uh, going to help with putting uh, solar panels on roofs. So that's, well, mainly uh, for earning some money. Yeah, cool. And afterwards, yeah, I'll just uh, see what uh, comes on my path. <laughs> At least continue with little side projects for my tiny house. And I still have the idea of maybe uh, helping other people with building their own tiny house. Or I can build some tiny house or other things for the people made from scrap materials like i already made uh, the, uh, bee hotels for wild bees and also this month i'm still going to make uh, a mobile chicken home and you also give uh, workshops if uh, if people need it uh, so they can yeah i uh, already uh, oh, that's uh, maybe already the second time this month still have to uh, confirm the date about making your own uh, B hotel cool and yeah who knows uh, what comes out of that yeah. so uh, your your website is uh, or you are on Instagram right uh, no I'm not on Instagram I'm oh. only on uh, Facebook okay tiny house Hank yeah and also my website yeah I'm still working on it because but you can already find the information it's tinyhousehank.nl yeah. ah, cool so people can contact you or, ch- or check it uh, yeah. and uh, I I know that uh, before there was every Sunday an open day at Pau or is yeah, it still yeah we had a tea cafe yeah, um, yeah we might uh, start it again because yeah we just finished building rebuilding again the, the mothership and that was really the nice uh, well multifunctional room where we could organize those kind of things because yeah, in in meanwhile we had the kitchen in the army dark, uh, army tent. It was not really uh, inviting to uh, to organize the such uh, such things. But yeah, we might organize that again. We uh, soon we will have another uh, meeting for the new year to really well make more concise plans for the coming year. Cool. So maybe uh, one or two of us are really motivated to organize that again. I'm not sure, but it would be really nice. And also, um, this month we will get the refugees that will pass by every day on the road yeah. that they made specially for it. Yeah. So uh, who knows what we can do with the refugees? Yeah, because uh, they also want to do something. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, that th- there is a, a certain uh, time that when they don't have their status to to mm-hmm. work or do something, there is 
that's the one or very interesting thing where like, uh, people don't really like to work but at the moment they are unemployed or they are not able to do uh, something they, they also go crazy just mm -hmm. imagine an airport when uh, there is uh, you know a couple of hours delay people go crazy sometimes they get drunk before the plane even arrives mm -hmm. because they have just nothing to do so we are yeah i think uh, if not in all of us but i mean most of us there is at least a tiny bit of creator just like in yourself so we want to do some something mm -hmm. And if it's not possible, we just go crazy. <laughs> yeah, maybe some people uh, like to share the skills with us, with building or with gardening or, well, cooking their local local food because we have a nice kitchen now as yeah. well. So it would be really great. But yeah, and also a uh, funny thing that the, the neighbors, they really don't like refugees coming and they... they uh, Especially for them, they're going to build a high fence mm. on the other side of the road. Huh. So that's also a funny thing to see that we are well open, welcoming the refugees, and they're like scared, scared for well people that are different from them. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Everybody has their own uh, issues. That is mm -hmm. unfortunately this whole uh, refugee. Uh, discussion was also uh, discussed uh, most of the time on a very uh, ugly way i mm -hmm. think two narratives were, were on this level then mm -hmm. oh please welcome 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 and the other hand no 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 and it's another trick from i think it's from the high politics sorry that i uh, kind of uh, explain it to the people but mm -hmm. uh, because in the end they use the refugees as a problem as a discussion however the real problem is the war mm -hmm. yeah and the reason always always ahead. look who is actually benefiting from from something mm -hmm. so uh, and of course there are many many companies uh, you know or many NGOs built up on the refugees and many others on other things so in the in that sense we have to be very careful with the mainstream mainstream media for me it took many months and going down different rabbit holes and that is the conclusion I just I don't know I I mean they are also people and uh, what I think this is the the biggest problem is that we don't talk about the real reason for example the war and who yeah. is behind the war who wants the war yeah because we the Netherlands are also responsible for all the shit that's going on there so. yeah I, I don't know if how can uh, how people on a citizen level can uh, relate to that because I don't know if it was a voting or whatever when anyone asked uh, you personally if I don't know what how was the process uh, that you now that you, you're just saying that uh, the Netherlands is also responsible but I don't know who who, are, who yeah. took the decision to go there I mean yeah the government <laughs> yeah so and also yeah people influencing the, the the government to to go there and yeah maybe that's uh, 
not as extreme here in the Netherlands, but yeah, you see in America, it's very extreme. The big lobby of the whole war industry, the fossil fuel industry to yeah. keep those things going. Just start another war if necessary, <laughs> just to keep the whole industry working. But it's the same in the Netherlands, a lot of industries benefiting from the war there, also in United Kingdom, uh, a lot of those Western countries. Yeah, and I don't only see that uh, they are there because of their market, okay, of course, because of their market uh, interest, uh, but my experience, uh, you know, I, I've grown up in Hungary, and there was, uh, you know, I was already alive when the Berlin Wall was uh, down, and it was not even war in Hungary at the, in the 90s, 80s, uh, but the chaos what came after, you know, you, you know, you had a certain system for 40 mm -hmm. years and then another system was introduced, like uh, we just call it the wild capitalist system. So it was not even the sophisticated capitalist, but the wild capitalist after the communist system. Mm -hmm. And when you have this chaos, the real resources, the real value in a country, they don't have uh, ownership, you know, there was a certain structure uh, from a government or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. the state owned certain stuff. And when you have this inter intervention, then uh, all of the resources just, uh, you know, you can buy, you could buy uh, entire factories for a couple of thousand euros. I think uh, Hungary is one of the biggest uh, aluminium uh, uh, importer to the EU. Mm -hmm. and the entire factory was uh, sold back then for if we count the, the value of the money now about uh, wait a second around 20,000 euros uh, it's almost nothing it's almost nothing so you could buy land and everything It yeah and of course there are also people local people who can benefit from these these uh, patterns these uh, changes uh, but of course the the bigger companies the, the bigger interest groups they can take out the natural resources uh, the infrastructure all of this buy all the land because the you know agriculture. if you if you have a certain power structure which is uh, you know uh, moved out from its uh, its uh, existence then something else will come and yeah, that's how they use it. So it's difficult. Sorry for the for those who are uh, interested in making wars that I explained it <laughs> a bit more uh, deeply. And but I think it's good to think about also and see the bigger mm -hmm. picture what is happening. Yeah. But first, uh, be the change. Be the change you want to be. You, you want to yeah. see, yeah. And yeah, that starts with stuff like uh, POW or tiny house. Yeah, or just, or just uh, start buying uh, more organic, locally stuff. Yeah, in, indeed. And, and, and try to, uh, yeah, uh, it d dimension uh, on how much stuff you use. It starts pretty much with food. Mm -hmm. I mean, people are so not uh, conscious about the food and how it affects uh, the yeah. body. If you just look it up, uh, your your gut as the second brain, look it up, 
and you will see enormous amount of in- information how you are influenced because mm-hmm. of what you are eating yeah or maybe uh, it's also a good thing to realize uh, how much food waste there is just go at least for one for uh, for once uh, go dumpster diving because i've been taking now uh, maybe already a dozen people uh, for the first time with me dumpster diving and they all said after that yeah it was a really like a lifetime experience because then they really realized that so much food in every supermarket in the netherlands is thrown away every day it's just yeah, yeah. crazy i had my uh, i honestly uh, uh, i have to how you say it uh, yeah I had my fair share in food wasting because I was working in a in the restaurant business and I was the buffet guy. So we were we had uh, huge groups of hundreds of people in the buffet system mm-hmm. where people just come and take all you can eat. Yeah. And you never know when is the last round if you have like 100 or 200 people, so you all the time have to keep the buffet uh, full or almost full. And uh, because of that after the group was gone uh, i personally had to throw away a lot of uh, a lot of food it was like crazy i had to get used to it uh, luckily i i, I don't uh, do it anymore but it's just an amazing thing like you think that this is the most efficient way to to feed people but yeah maybe if you see if you think about the time what they consume and uh, they have the certain program that they had to they had to go off or sheet or uh, shoot or something like that uh, and then go or they had to have a business conference and between eat but it was uh, yeah that was my experience about uh, food mm-hmm. waste yeah. it was crazy yeah and it's all just a calculation and uh, well and the profits not about taking into account yeah <laughs> the other big negative impacts there are on the environment and people and everything i think uh, if we just start with ourselves and and uh, keep on eye what we eat then uh, our all life okay it becomes uh, you like put on a glass or another filter how you see the world when you start to think about the supply chain of uh, of the certain uh, product like meat or or uh, dairy or chocolates or whatever i'm i'm so i love chocolate that's the other thing and mm-hmm. i'm still guilty or i don't know if i'm guilty or not but it's so strange that i don't know actually where is it coming from but uh, because in many other processes you know i i've also i've 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 grown up on industrial and normal farms and i was working in uh, pig farms and chicken farms and all of this stuff so uh, and also in uh, industrial uh, grain production and uh, feed feed production and like these uh, huge uh, silos and stuff so i know kind of know the all of the network and all of the huge complexity of the supply chain what is involved in having a piece of meat on your table if mm-hmm. it's industrial 
also I kind of know it if it's an organic but for example about chocolate or coffee I don't have this overview because we are not growing it and that's what yeah. bothers me but I, I want to know more so yeah. yeah do you know Tony Chocoloni are they legit <laughs> well it's actually the only um, chocolate brand that really uh, can prove that they have like a slave free chocolate well wow. the other companies they they cannot guarantee that there are not any uh, slaves or childs are misused in the production of the of the cacao yeah so they are like the almost like the fairphone you know the fairphone yeah. yeah i don't know if it's exactly the fairphone is like a mobile phone and it mm -hmm. was also like they they were also only just able to reach the 95% of guilt free materials Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah it's just crazy that yeah okay but we figured out what we can do so it's good yeah we just go on on this way and uh, we hope to bit by bit the whole system will change but we'll see <laughs> yeah and what can we say to people who wanna be zen like you uh, zen um well maybe i appear to be zen but yeah if i really think about it i'm uh, quite concerned about where we're going in this world with all the climate change and all the yeah corporations don't tell them <laughs> gaining more and more power <laughs> yeah so i think uh, we'll still have uh, hard times to uh, yeah but there on the other hand there is also a kind of uh, spiritual awakening what I what I see very promising mm -hmm. in this in this world, like uh, you know, many people uh, go towards uh, shamanism or you know just go to retreats and yoga and meditation and all of that stuff uh, mm -hmm. becomes their their daily routine and they they yeah. I don't know if it's just my my uh, uh, online environment because for me only this stuff is coming <laughs> mm -hmm. but it actually creates okay i filtered the shit out sorry people if you don't want to uh, be uh, concerned too much about stuff don't watch the news <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah. that of course you have to keep open eye uh, mm -hmm. yeah but i think it's true that more and more people are becoming more and more conscious about uh, about the world we live in and not uh, start following the well the mainstream stuff or what the mainstream wants you to believe yeah so it's cool yeah and uh, I'm looking forward to to hear the next story from you yeah and uh, I'm looking forward to other the other people you're going to interview yeah there is uh, I've already some people on the list mm-hmm and uh, yeah we don't tell more because stay tuned as the big podcasters say <laughs> and yeah, yeah for the next episode let's say hi to the people <laughs> hi hi people much love and see you next time Bye. ciao ciao <laughs>